0: We want to give you a very warm welcome. If you're visiting this morning for the first time, we want to thank you for joining us. (laughs) for being with us. Uh, it is communion this morning, so we'll uh, take time to break bread and um, step into communion. We've been on a journey looking through uh, different passages in the book of John. And I hope you've been reading the book of John and stepping into that and connecting with the journey and, um, and all that, um, that the Lord has to teach us through it. But this is a really exciting and interesting passage because it deals with um, the miracle of the multiplication and we notice in the first four verses that sometime after this Jesus crossed the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is the Sea of Tiberias and a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by the healing and the sick, healing the sick. Jesus Christ, you may not know this, but he has an ability to gather a crowd. (laughs) Look around this morning. But you know, it's very interesting that, of course, he's gathering a crowd. and, And often we think in society, and often we think about young people, we think about church, that Jesus isn't gathering crowds anymore. Well, there's a, a recent research has been done into spots around North America where groups of young people are gathering together, groups of millennials, groups of teenagers, and they are growing in their faith. And this report looked at this and said, well, what, what really made all the difference? And I kind of always relate this back to when I was a teenager, Coming from a non-Christian background, not knowing what to do, turning up to church, popping outside for a cigarette and popping back in, a habit I no longer do. Um, But I would sit there, I didn't understand, but there was something that captivated me about Jesus. Something remarkable about Jesus. It was Jesus that changed my life. It was Jesus that made the difference. It was Jesus. And this report shows just recently that it's not the style of worship. It's not the whistle and bells. It's not... The kind of, all oh, the peripheral stuff. But in every denomination, in different areas, where crowds of young adults and young people are, are gathering is, is because there is something unique that is happening, which shouldn't be unique, is that the gatherings that they meet together are gathered around learning and longing for an encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, it's about an encounter with Jesus Christ that makes all the difference. It's about a personal longing for Jesus to meet Jesus. And when we make the main thing the main thing, and what is the main thing? The main thing is Jesus. Jesus. It's Jesus who changes the world. It's Jesus who is the example, the very nature of God. It's Jesus that brings life and presence. It's Jesus. And when we make it all about lots of other things and strange things and weird things, and you know what's on the internet, and this and that, we lose sight because the main thing is crowds are attracted to Jesus. And so they were gathering. Great crowds of people were gathering to see this Jesus. And we know that it's not just about the crowd. Because Jesus taught to the twelve. He had the hundred. And he had the crowd. It's wherever Jesus has placed us and wherever Jesus has put us, it makes all of the difference within our lives. Then Jesus went up onto the mountainside and sat down with his disciples is the Jewish Passover festival was near. I love John for this. You may not even notice this, but it says the Jewish Passover festival was near. Like a good detective novel, throughout the book of John, you get little hints about what he really wants to communicate. I don't know if you like detective novels. Um, I don't, I always miss the clues. Uh, <laughs> I'm like reading it, oh, really, that happened there? Oh, no. I do like kind of um, whodunits, though, on TV. You know, there's one that my family and I watch. We watch um, Death in Paradise. It's about, uh, oh, look at this, yay, Netflix generation, Um it's about an English police officer that goes to a beautiful island in the Caribbean, as you do. And then every week, somebody is murdered. and um, It's a cheery show. Um, and, and the person falls on, you know, he's murdered, and then the music comes on. It's, it's a bit of a, and a comedy, and then he has to solve the mystery. And, and all me and the kids, we sit around, and we watch for the clues... And then at the end, there's always a big moment when he gathers all the suspects in one room, usually on a balcony overlooking the Caribbean. So realistic. And and this English police, it had to be English. Uh, this English police officer says, now it was this and this and this. And then he says, who done it? And we all go, ah, we were wrong. Um but through not so much that John is creating a who done it but John is giving us hints about what his main issue is in his gospel because he keeps mentioning the Passover. He mentioned Passover in verse uh, chapter 2. He goes to the temple at the Passover and clears the temple. Here, he mentions that they're in the wilderness and crowds are gathering and he mentions the Passover. And then later on, there's another four occasions where they mention the Passover as it goes towards... The cross. Why does he mention the of Passover so much? It's because the Passover is the time when the people were taken from slavery, were delivered from the oppression of Egypt, and were taken to the promised land through the wilderness. And Every time, John wants to remind us that Jesus Christ is the one who has come to liberate all people from slavery, from pain, from oppression, from darkness, takes us through the wilderness, supplies our needs, and then brings us to the promised land. And that promised land is the glory of heaven. That promised land is the glory of the resurrection. That promised land is that we live on this earth for such a small time. But we live forever because Jesus Christ has purchased salvation and given us eternity by going to the cross, being laid in the grave and on the third day rising again. That's what it's about. And he just wants to remind everybody, Passover, Passover, Passover. There is a lamb that has come, has been slain, and the angel of death comes. But I tell you what, it passes over your house. Why does it pass over your house? Because you've got the mark of the blood of Jesus. In other words, you've got Jesus in your life, and you will live forever. So the whodunit... A little is always reminded And so it's not surprising that the next 11 verses are based in the wilderness. There's a wilderness here. And many of us feel like we are living in wilderness. Many of you may live in wilderness. I met some people from, Grant, uh, from Prince George this morning. Um, they were very nice. I did say, is it still got snow? Expecting to say, oh, no. I said, oh, Yes. We give thanks, Lord Jesus, for Kelowna. Um, when Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming towards him, he said to Philip. Look at this, he looks, looked up. In, in all of the Gospels, this story is told. In Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's a significant story. And the reason it's significant, and in Matthew's Gospel, it says that Jesus looked up and had compassion. Compassion is a really interesting thing. And looking up is really interesting. Because I know in my Christian walk, and I know that if I'm a spirit-filled Christian, then in my life, I experience and am driven by compassion. Compassion. Somewhere in your life, I know that there is compassion at work. Somewhere I know in your life, if you are walking with Jesus, there is some need, there is some problem, there is something in society, there is a family, there is a mission, there is a nation where you have been touched by compassion and you are being driven by compassion because a Christian who does not have compassion is a contradiction in terms. Because we, we look up, we look up and we see the needs of the world. It was, this has been Christianity's story. Whether it's Wilberforce looking up and seeing the tyranny of slavery. Whether it's Chastainbury looking up and seeing the tyranny of workers being pushed down. Whether we look up and we see the pain and suffering of the sick. So that Florence Nightingale steps out and begins the nursing and the change in society. Christians have always been driven by a compassion to love this world and to see the needs of the masses and see the pain and see the problems. And you and I must not ignore the call of compassion within our lives. Something that's driving you. Maybe it's teaching... Young children, maybe it's discipling the next generation, maybe it's a compassion for the poor and the needy, maybe it's the social concerns of life. Maybe I don't know, we could go on and on, couldn't we? But we mustn't forget that our faith is driven by a compassion and by a love because God is love, God is love. God is love. And he comes to us and he looks up. And when Jesus looked up and saw the great crowd coming towards him, he said to Philip... This is actually one of the first times in the Scriptures that we get to hear Philip's voice or speaking. Philip and Andrew, it's quite an interesting moment in in the Gospels because we get to feel Philip a little bit. We get to, you know, I like Philip. I, I think he's got an awesome name. Um. so when Jesus looked up and saw the great crowd coming towards him he said to Philip where shall we buy bread for these people to eat he asked this only to test him for he already had in mind what he was going to do why would Jesus test him I can tell you though That when you're growing in God, the Lord Jesus has a way of testing every one of us. We will all be tested. We are all tested in different ways. We all experience a testing in our lives, a a decision that we make, a testing. He did this. He said, when Jesus looked up and saw the great crowd coming towards him, he said to Phil, "Where," Phil, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? Why would Jesus test us? Well, first of all, Jesus tests you. Because he wants you to grow in your faith. You will be tested in your response to needs of compassion, to needs of the world, because the way that we grow is through the testing, the testing of the Lord, the growth of pushing the boundaries of us growing spiritually, that we test, that we grow, that we develop. And and the other reason is that we're transformed. When we are tested by Jesus, we are transformed in our character. We are transformed in our life. And what Jesus doesn't want is for you to stay exactly the same as you've always been, making the same mistakes like a sitcom on TV where the same characters do the same things in the same way, in different ways, over and over again. That's why it's funny. But in God's economy, God doesn't want to create a sitcom within your life. What God wants to do, he wants you to grow and be transformed by the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ in your life. That's what he wants to do. But I think testing even more. He wants to test him because Scripture clearly shows he wants to see where Philip is really going to put his trust in. Hmm. Is Philip going to look to Jesus, who in earlier chapters has healed a young girl and raised her from the dead? In earlier Gospels, we know, has touched the lives of lepers, has done remarkable miracles, turning water into wine, has raised the, the man at the pool. He's done many miracles. So it's like a test. Philip, will you look to Jesus in this moment of need Or will you look to your own abilities, your own thinking, your own way? Will you look to me or will you look to everything else? Which way shall we go? Shall we try and solve the problem or shall we not? And what does he do? He asks this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. And Phyllis answered him, it would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. What did Philip do? He suddenly turns into Mr. Accountant. Or he he becomes a man. Have you noticed, ladies, what men do? You present them a problem and they start to solve the problem. And all you want... It's to, for them to listen to you. You've gone very quiet. <laughs> oh, darling, this is a lady speaking of, you know, I want to share this. I feel very upset about this. And, you know, I'm going through this problem and this difficulty. And this is the kind of conversation Michelle and I have. And all of a sudden, I pull out, I pull out the whiteboard and... I start to get the spreadsheets out. Well, we can do this. And let's do action one, number one. Action two, number two. Let's do this. Let's move this. Let's make these phone calls on this day. And let's do this and do this. And all she wants me to do is to shut up and listen. Men. This is the word of the Lord for you. Joe and Irene have been married for 50 years. Joe knows when to be quiet. Uh, Well, you just, well, you don't try and solve, how are you going to solve the problem? He's already planning a trip to Costco. It would take more. But what Jesus is really testing in him is, we've got this problem. Do you look to me or do you look to everything else? We're in the wilderness. There's nowhere to look. Where are you looking in the problem? I think that's an important spiritual point here for each one of us. I'm certainly not against planning, and I'm certainly not against wisdom, and I'm certainly not against understanding and being sensible. But I am for that in every area of our life, Jesus Christ's divinity is in the detail of our lives. He cares about the detail. He cares about your problems. He cares about your journey. He cares about what you are traveling through and he says, you know, he Philip takes away the god equation. And we've got to bring God into every equation, friends. Every business problem, every family problem, every dark journey Every issue that we face, can I encourage you to look to Jesus? Let Jesus guide you in the wisdom. Let Jesus be with you. Let Jesus speak to you. Another of his disciples, we meet another one now, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, so we know, spoke up. So we got this little, Philip's working out all the ramifications. Andrew speaks up. And Andrew says, verse 9, Here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? Wow. Now, in the King James Version, it says, Here's a lad with five small a lad. I love that in the King James Version. It proves that this boy is Scottish. And... And Andrew, indeed, is a Scottish name. He is a laddie with small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will they go among so many? The powerful thing about this is what all Jesus Christ wants for your life is to bring the simplicity of the small that you have. And say, Lord Jesus, you take what I have and you use it. I don't have much. You know, there's small resources. There's a small lad. There's small faith. But mixed in with Jesus, Jesus can do remarkable things. And you may feel like it's small. You may feel like you are lacking something. You may feel insignificant. You may feel as if you have very little to offer the kingdom of God. But I want to tell you something remarkable. If you just bring what you have, let Jesus do the rest. Let Jesus do the rest in your life. Bring your barley loaves. You know, I have to say, Lord, here I am, and this is all I've got. Small. But I make myself available, and I make myself willing. That may be a desire to do some ministry. That may be a desire to make a difference in this world. That may be a desire to build something, but all you have is really five loaves and two, it says, small fish. That's all I've got. And Jesus says, bring what you've got and let me use what you've got. Notice in this story that that. The disciples, as it were, focus on the problem, on what they do not have, where Jesus brings it around with the, boy to encourage them to focus on what they do have and let Jesus do with what they, they do have rather than what they don't have. And I think we live in, if that makes sense, I think we live, probably not, I think we live in that kind of contradiction that you and I often focus on what we do not have and what we cannot provide, but we do not focus on what God has given to us. God's given you resources. God's given you what He's given you. But start focusing on what you don't have and start focusing on what you do have and start to focus on the Lord Jesus Christ. And this child, this boy, brings the five small barley loaves, two fishes... And Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass. Now, this, I love that detail. We know it's spring because there's grass. Because the rest of the year in Israel, there's no grass. And in that place, they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. Which means there's probably, let's say, 20,000 people. This is the miracle of the multiplication. That God takes what there is, and does something remarkable with that. He supplies for them in the wilderness, the manna from heaven, like the Exodus. He comes and steps in. And we can have so many attitudes about our resources. We can often say, Well, what is mine is mine. That's it. Do you know what that's called? Selfishness. Or we can say, What is yours is mine. That's called stealing. (laughs) Or we can say this. What resources I have are His. That's called stewardship. And God has given you so many resources. God has given you so much. And those resources are there for you. To give to Him. And we want to be. I don't want to... I don't want to um, be selfish in any way of my life. I do not want to steal in any way. What I am called to do is to be a steward of what the Lord has given me. A steward of my gifts. A steward of my finances. A steward of of my life and my time, a steward of my service. My barley loaves I give to the Lord and my two small fish, and I say, Lord, I will be available for you. This is a real position of humility. It's a willingness to humble ourselves, And as we humble ourselves before God, we are saying, I want to learn to be content with what I have, not with what I don't have. I'm willing to serve where I am. And I'm willing to let you, Jesus, take this because we live in a society that is full of excess we live in a society that is full of you know these are my rights we live in this society whereby uh, you know we we become self-driven and we lose a sense of a beautiful beautiful word here jesus then took loaves and what did he do gave thanks Giving thanks is one of the most powerful things you and I can do in our life. That research has shown it, that if you spend 10 minutes in the morning, 10 minutes in the evening, just giving thanks for all the good things in your life, it can even change our mental state and even affect low levels of depression within our lives. Because thankfulness acknowledges that we have got so much and God is still at work amongst us. I thank you for these simple barley loaves and these two little fish. And the crowd are looking. At, I, don't, I can't even imagine how this happened. Were they passing a loaf around and every time you broke it, it kept growing? Have you thought about this? This is what I do for a living. And... Think of the fish. How did they eat that? If they cut the head off and then the fish fish kept growing? I'll let you solve that problem. My name is Send me your ideas. My name's Steve Johnson. Um, but it was a beautiful miracle. Beautiful miracle. Of what? But when God moves, when they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that were left over. Let nothing be wasted. Notice there's abundance, but with abundance, nothing was wasted. And there were 12 baskets. I've been to the site of this miracle. It's just north of Tiberias. It would at that time been a kind of wilderness place, some distance from Capernaum, probably twenty-minute bus ride, although there were no buses then. Although I took the bus, you go there, and the church there is built on the spot. It's a Benedictine church, and it's it's built on the spot. It was built in 1988. You might be surprised at that. Why was it built in 1988? Well, this is called the Forgotten Church. Because after 400 years where they knew the spot was, the church was destroyed and there was a Byzantine church there and it disappeared. And for history, for about 1500 years, it was the church and the spot that was always forgotten. Until 1888, an archaeological team went to the spot and started digging around. And they discovered a mosaic. This mosaic was 16, 1,700 years old. And it was just a beautiful mosaic. And they opened it up, got the rubble away, got all of it gone. Whew. You know what was on the mosaic? Two fish and barley loaves. Just there. And it's called the Forgotten Chapel. And so they built in 1988 after more excavations and the land was given to the church there. They did eventually build a church on that spot. And so it's a little strange because it's a, a newer church but with an ancient footprint. Made me think. So often what happens is that we forget... Because of the rubble of our lives and of time, we forget how much God has provided to us in the past, in the wilderness. We've forgotten that He multiplies. We've forgotten that He provides simply, humbly at times. Without ostentation. But for some of you, you need to remove the rubble of your life... And get back to the simple childlike faith. What do I have? Five loaves and two fishes. Jesus, take what I have and use it. And there we come. Barley loaves, the barley harvest was the first harvest in Israel. Before the wheat harvest, it was about a month earlier. It's linked, of course, to the Passover feast... And it's linked, of course, actually, the barley loaf is linked to resurrection, new beginnings, of God meeting the needs of his people. And this morning, friends, as we come to communion and take communion, we live with this reality of the world that we live in, that the crowd were in the wilderness, but the Lord was promising the promised land. Does that make sense? And that we live in that place between two worlds. We know what Jesus has achieved, but we're yet to see the full fulfillment. And we live at times with pain and agony and disappointment and But we also live with glorious hope and provision and how the Lord is at work. And this morning, I'm really grateful that um, many of us have prayed for Steve Boyson. He shared testimony here. He's literally in the last hours of his life at this precise moment. But his family and friends have come to join us this morning. They wanted to come to this church, I don't know, maybe half a dozen or... A dozen friends and family. They wanted to come to the church because they wanted to see what Steve was so excited about this church. Isn't that lovely? So we welcome you this morning, his brother, son, family, his mother. We welcome you this morning, and we want to pray before communion for Steve and these final moments. And as a church body, we've been supporting the family. We'll continue to do that through Meals of Mercy and other resources. But let us pause for a moment. Father, we we live in this wilderness where you provide in such remarkable ways. And Lord, in the final journey that Steve is on at this precise moment, we thank you that the gift that you have given him is the gift of the promised land. And that there will be a day, a moment, probably in a matter of hours, where he will see you face to face. And Lord, we pray for your peace to come. And we thank you that he was so eager to share the joy of salvation with his family. Even in his last moments, his words on his lips are your name, Jesus. So we bless him, bless the family and welcome them. And pray for your presence to fill that house in Black Mountain with all the glory of God as a holy, holy place of your presence. Maybe you're not assured of that journey to the promised land. Maybe you've come this morning and you've listened to this message and you've realized that you want to hand everything over to Jesus. And you can, and you too can have salvation and be born again and Have that surety that Steve had. And so actively promoted in his life and ministry. This is a prayer that you can pray for any of us here this morning. That you want to come out of the wilderness, be fed by Jesus and receive his salvation. Prayer goes like this. Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus, this morning, I acknowledge, this morning I acknowledge that I'm a sinner. And I ask you to forgive me for the wrong that I've done. And Lord, I'm sorry. And I invite you into my life. As Lord and Savior. I receive the gift of salvation. I receive your forgiveness. And as you gave your life for me upon the cross. I give my life to you. And I choose to follow you, Jesus. If you prayed that prayer to yourself, just say an amen. And just tell Jesus what's on your heart. Introduce yourself to Jesus and say, here I am now. I receive your forgiveness and salvation. And then come, if you've done that, and receive communion and invite the ushers to come. It was at the Passover where Jesus took the bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body which was broken for you. And Lord, we thank you for the bread that is broken. And that your body was broken for us so that we may be healed. He poured out the wine saying, this is the blood of the new covenant that takes away the sins of the world. We thank you that we are clean, that we are new, that we are saved, and that we receive eternal life because of work of Christ through his blood. And we would drink this in remembrance of all that Christ has done. Amen. I'm going to invite you, if you're downstairs, to come forward and take the bread and the wine. If you're in the balcony, please stay seated and you will be served. And uh, come. And we will eat together as one body, as one people, as we come to the table right now.